Welcome to the Envision Rise podcast. I'm your host, Stacey Hegarty. I'm also the Vice President of Equity and Inclusion for Envision Rise. Joining us today is Alec Brookman. He is the founder and president of Brookman Executive Consulting and also the author of an upcoming book, The Strategy Legacy. Alex, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me, Stacey. I'm so glad you're here and spending some of your time with us. So let's start with the easy stuff. Why don't you tell our listeners about yourself? Uh, apart from what you already said, <laughs> I live in Canada. And as you can probably hear from my accent, I am not originally Canadian. I'm German. I moved to Canada about three and a half years ago and have been building my, I would guess, third career here and enjoying the great outdoors. Excellent. So tell us about your upcoming book. Now, you this is a follow-up to your first book, correct? Let me put it that way. This is a bit of a crazy year. I have three books in one year, which is, and it was never planned like that. This book that you just mentioned, The Strategy Legacy, which will be, when this episode airs, the book actually just came out. October 10th, the book release is for The Strategy Legacy. And then in a few weeks down the road, we will have another book coming out, which is called Creating the Strategy Legacy, which is a field guide that holds all the exercises, templates, questionnaires, assessments, you name it. Basically, all the tools and resources that we've been using for the past 15 years with our clients. So let's talk about what you actually do. What do you do in your work with clients? Who should be really paying attention to your words of wisdom right now? <laughs> let's get into that. I typically work with two kinds of different executive teams or leadership teams. One, on the one hand, that's fast growing startups that are mostly in their like eight figures, 10, 20 million revenue. That's when they often start thinking about topics like, we need to professionalize our leadership. The team has been growing very fast. So what does that mean? What does leadership mean in our company? And then also, what is the connection to our business strategy? And since they're growing so fast, they have a different understanding of the term business strategy than, for example, Fortune 50 companies would have, which is the second type of companies I typically work with, which is very interesting because if you put those two in front of you and you're like, you are nothing alike. How can I work with both of you and still have fun with that? <laughs> that, that is exactly what's the joy of it because the, they require a different type of facilitator. Let me put it that way. And that's what I do. I facilitate strategy processes for organizations in the context of leadership. So not just the business strategy piece, not just the leadership piece, because the magic happens when you bring those two together and you create fully functional executive teams that are then able to create and implement a strategy that doesn't play it safe. Let's talk about a fully functional leadership team. That just, honestly, we can probably spend all day pointing out the dysfunctional ones. Yeah. Talk to me about what your goals are for executive teams to become fully functional and what does that look like, especially for employees or customers, people outside of that team? How can you tell when an executive team is functioning as it should? That is a great question because. You can obviously define it, what it looks inside the executive team. But what is it that you see, that you can feel, that you can hear when you are part of an organization? Let's say you're a manager somewhere in the middle or you're a team member and you're like, I wonder what's happening inside these executive meetings. So a fully functioning team, for one, will speak with one voice. There can be disagreement and, and conflict whatsoever 
in the team, but in the end, they would speak with one voice and everyone in the organization would receive the same messages. And they wouldn't say, oh, we just had this leadership meeting and they decided that we should do X. I wasn't on board with that, but hey, here we go. Now I have to tell you, I give you the bad news. That's not what would happen. If you hear something like that or a version of that, you already know that this is not a functional leadership team. Another example would be if an organization is struggling to allocate resources properly because there are too many priorities, you already know that the team ha does not have the difficult conversations around what the priorities really are. Priorities are not priorities of a team. A an organization has priorities. If we talk about, for example, these Inc. 5000 companies, these fast-growing startups, they are still relatively small. They often don't even have 100 people on board. So it's relatively easy to communicate throughout the organization so that everyone receives the same piece of communication. And still, they would realize from talking to other team members in different departments that they seem to have different priorities than themselves. And then they start to fight over resources and who does what by when, just because there wasn't a clear communication. And those two examples that I just gave you, one is about leadership. It's about having those healthy conflicts and communicating properly afterwards so that everyone has the same information. And the other piece, the priority piece, that is typically a more strategic piece. When you make the right choices in an organization and you, you are clear about what those choices are and what they mean for every department, that's typically what we talk about in a strategic context. We hear the word strategy thrown around an awful lot in, in the adult world, and whether that's in business or in schools or what, even in just in, within your community, we talk about strategy a lot. What does that mean? What, I feel like sometimes we all think we know what strategy is, but what is it really? What should people be focused on when they're talking about our strategic plan for the next three to five years is X? So often those are either very stretch goals for an organization or they don't even make a whole heck of a lot of sense sometimes. So how do you go about helping a team really crystallize what their strategy should look like? So there are a few things that we need to do before we can talk about strategy. First of all, we need to define the term. And second of all, we need to understand what then the other terms mean that we typically often use. And you used a few of those just in your question. You talked about goals and stretch goals. You talked about strategic plans. All these things are needed but they aren't strategy. So the first thing we need to understand is what is strategy? And there is no one who defined it better than Roger Martin, the ex-dean of the Rotman School of Business in Toronto. He said, strategy is the choices that you make to win in your chosen marketplace where the opposite of those choices wouldn't be plain stupid. <laughs> and th that is just brilliant. So I love to use his words when that question comes up because it's, there's so much truth in it. And strategy is not a plan. Planning and strategy are completely different things. They need each other, though. They are complements. They are not opposite, and they're definitely not the same. So when a company invites me to facilitate their strategy planning process, I, the first question I do is, 
I ask them what they mean by that, because every business has a different definition of what strategic planning means for them. Again, in the words of the almighty Roger Martin, I would say, if you do strategic planning, you're not doing either of those properly because they need different skill sets and different mindsets. So strategy is about the choices that you make to win in your chosen marketplace. Planning is who does what by when. It's internal. It's resource allocation. It's plans. And strategy is about customers. It's about the outside world, about the future, about not knowing. Planning gives you, and because not knowing is so difficult for many leaders, they need their plans to hold on to something and give them the illusion of control. And that's when they took those two words, strategy and planning, and morphed them into strategic planning. <laughs> that's just not what's really helpful. So when we use the term strategy, we talk about the handful of priorities that you have and that the choices that you make to push these priorities as far as you can toward what we would call a vision, a desired future state of your business. That can be two years down the road. That can be five years down the road. That doesn't really matter. That's your choice to make. But when we talk about planning, we typically talk about this annual recurring ordeal of having people tell you how much money they need to do X amount of projects in an organization. That's a completely different thing. Of course, your planning process needs to support your strategy, but they are inherently different things. And what we often hear is strategy is a plan to achieve a goal in the future. I'm fine with that, but it's still not a plan. It's a set of priorities. I like this so much. And as, a, as an executive leader, I've spent a lot of time doing strategic planning. And I think the way that you have described strategy and plan would have been extremely helpful in a lot of situations where we really were just planning and calling it strategy. Yeah. And, and we didn't... That's what 90% of the organizations do that I walk in. 90% of them. And we've and the reason is very simple. You've been on the receiving end of that at some point in time, mm -hmm. and you've thought that's apparently the way to do it. And I was there too. This is just the way we've been socialized if you want and yeah we just need to rethink and relearn sometimes what we think is the truth so how do you help teams get there it's one thing to give these definitions and hope that they stick it's another thing to get into the practice of doing this and what happens when alex leaves you're not there forever so how do the how do you get executive teams to be able to function at the, at such a high level on their own. Let me put it that way. There is a different starting point for every organization. Every organization has their own reality. But what you can see typically is an understanding of what got them to a certain place will not get them to the next. So they know that. They have experienced some pain in the past because they tried to do it a certain way and it didn't work. And then they tried harder and it still didn't work. So they are open to listening to different approaches to strategy, to leadership. Okay. But I, I'm, I'm not the teacher. I'm, I don't come in and be like, oh, that's the definition of strategy and let's do it my way. That's just not how it works. But what you typically do is you ask a certain series of questions and engage executive teams 
into a conversation at which end they then say, okay, we get it. What do you recommend we do? And you don't achieve that by telling them. You achieve it by helping them structure their thinking, by adding value through these questions and the the conversations that happen based on those. And once they realize that strategy is nothing but let's say, a tool to solve some pain, you can actually apply that type of thinking and strategic acumen to all kinds of different situations in life. And Stacey, you mentioned in our communities, we hear that term strategy everywhere. It would, what, what a wonderful world this would be if we all used it in that definition as a problem-solving mechanism. Mm-hmm. So once you understand that where you want to be in the future is not where you are now, and once you've realized what that gap is, then you need to ask yourself, okay, how do we get there? What are the choices that we need to make to get there in the light of other choices being readily available? And organizations that, that falter typically stretch themselves too thin. They try too many things at the same time. Because maybe the competitor does it and they are really successful at it. So there's always a logic reason and reasoning around why they should do a certain thing or why they should not do a certain thing. Once they, once executives realize that there is a finite number of days and a finite number of dollars available, that helps them to make those tough calls. Mm-hmm. And it, and it only works if you put that leadership piece into the strategy conversations. Because those tough calls will have to be communicated to the organization. And every good strategy comes with a ton of change and transformation. Otherwise, it's not worth the paper it's written on. Mm-hmm. Then it's not a strategy. It's a business continuity plan or an operational excellence program or you na- whatever you want to name it. Helping teams get rid of the fear of not knowing how to convey these tough messages helps you create the space to have honest, unguarded conversations about business strategy. Now, you mentioned change and transformation, and that's something we do quite a bit of. And I think a lot of organizations struggle with it. I know individual humans struggle with it mightily all the time. So as a leader, how do you lead an organization through what may be very uncomfortable change. There's some change that people can get really excited about, but for the most part, even if it's going to be good in the long run, what something that feels different to people or feels unknown can be really stressful. And what do you work with leaders on to make sure that they're able to effectively lead through change? There are tons of established frameworks around that, so we won't go into that direction. What I will say, though, is In the strategy legacy, I introduce a model, which is called the nine elements of organizational identity. And readers will see that strategy is the centerpiece of that, but it's just one piece of that. Every good strategy is a vehicle to take the purpose of an organization and put it into an impact. That's what a strategy is in the end. To manage the change and and the transformation that comes with that, this purpose to impact gap needs to be clear. So if we don't do that, our purpose is just words. But if we do those things, we can create real change, real impact, something that only we can do because we are uniquely positioned to do that. 
So this why piece is super important, but that's just the starting point. What you need to do is you need to reassess the way you operate as an organization. And that means you need to look at all the processes and all the structures in the organization and adjust them so that they actually can support the implementation of a strategy. If someone sits somewhere in the organization is, here we go again, <laughs> another strategy. I'm going to do the same thing that I did last time because I'm still here. Apparently that was a successful way of coping with it. I'm just going to do nothing. I just wait it out. If that person gets along with that, there is something entirely wrong in the system because executive teams don't implement strategy. It's people in the organization who do it. And they need to understand how what they do connects to that bigger purpose. It needs to be clear how the daily work that I do helps us reach our vision, helps us implement the strategy. That creates motivation and that creates momentum. And if people see how they contribute to the bigger picture, they are way more likely to stuck their head out and make the first few steps and be like, okay, I'm going to try that. If I understand what's in it for me, I can lean in rationally and emotionally. If I don't understand what's in it for me, that doesn't work. So I need both. I need to understand what's in it for me, what's in it for the organization. And then you need to create that momentum. And that takes a lot of leadership effort, a lot of communication, very targeted, very individualized communication, not just sending out two emails. That's just not going to cut the... It's just not going to work. That's not communication at all. No, that, emails that, are communication. communication. Let, let, let's settle with that. I like that. <laughs> and I think what I'm hearing you say is that transparency, when it comes to making change or even small changes, is critical to making sure that your team's on board. Because if, you're, if your people aren't on board, I don't care how great your processes are, how great your product is, it's going to fail. And there it is may a huge difference. Immediately, but it yes. Works. And there is a huge difference between getting people on board, having them commit to something, and actually having them follow through on it. That's the difference between being committed to getting something done and being confident that I can actually do it. Mm -hmm. And this is one of the nine elements of organizational identity is about helping every individual understand what the new skills are, the capabilities that they need to acquire to do things in a slightly different way than they did before. Coming back to my initial example of Inc. 5000 versus Fortune 50 companies, that is super interesting because in Inc. 5000 companies, you typically have like maybe two or three different job descriptions, even if they're not even written down at that stage during a year, because the environment is changing so fast. The organization is making progress so fast that you're constantly in, in a phase of adapting to what's going on. You're constantly learning new things. Whereas in a Fortune 50 company, your relevance does not come through pioneering. It does not come through learning and bringing something new to the world as fast as you can. It comes from, your relevance comes from stability. And with stability comes, I hire experts in a certain area and they know exactly what, they know exactly how to do things. And that's why I hire them. And it's really, and th that's when we talk about those tankers and how difficult they are to move, to adjust course when change is needed, because these people are there for a reason. I hired them for a reason. And they are different when it comes to their mindset, for example, when it comes to change. 
So I want to shift gears just a little bit and talk about people who are not yet in leadership roles, but are poised to become the next level leader, whether that's a manager or a director or whatever your organizational makeup is. But for folks that are getting ready to be in a leadership role for the first time, any great advice for them? You can, you have so many teachers around you and you've had those teachers around you. I think I've learned the most from those leaders that were really bad examples. And I've had some, let's say in the world of sports, I had some coaches that were terrible examples mm -hmm. for what a leader should do or not do. And also in my early days as a management consultant, I had some leaders where I was like, you either stood out of the wrong side of the bed today, or you're just a blunt asshole. And <laughs> apparently that person stood out at the wrong side of the bed every day. Guess what? Not the leader you want to work for. Right. And you learn a lot from working with these people. You learn, you experience, you feel the impact of that bad type of leadership. And that can already tell you what you don't want to do. So if you, if your thought process is like, oh, that's apparently how you become successful. You just have to be mean. You better think again. That type of leadership is slowly but steadily disappearing. I see more and more, especially, let's say, I don't want to use age or generational stereotypes. The older generations, as they leave the workspace, that type of leadership goes with them. That's how they were socialized in, in businesses and organizations. And there is a, a type of leadership emerging that is way more conscious, way more people-centered. And that doesn't have to do anything with generations. Some of the most conscious leaders I'm working with, they are in their mid to late 50s. And they are able to leave a leadership legacy in their organizations that is so much more than just job security or anything. It's about helping these people understand how you can lead in ways to create workspaces they are more than just a transactional, I give you my time, you give me your money kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And when you are a new leader or at the beginning of your leadership journey, take a look at both of those. Take a look at those leaders around you where you're like, I never want to be like you. And take a look at those where you're like, I wonder how they did that. How are you showing up? What are the questions? What's the reflection that's going on? in these executive teams or inside those executive heads when they're on their own that make them lead in that certain way that has an impact on you that you love. Alex, we're coming to the end of our time and I think I'll leave it on that very positive note, but where can people reach you? Easiest way is on my website. If you dare to write my name, go to brookman.ca. If you are less adventurous when it comes to typing German surnames, just go to alexthestrategist.com and you'll find my website. There's tons of free resources on that website. Also, obviously, links to my books and podcasts and you name it. All right. And the Strategy Legacy will be available October 10th through all of your usual places that you would buy a book, correct? Correct. Excellent. Alex Brookman, I thank you so much for your time and your insights today. Absolutely fantastic. And I'm looking forward to both the field guide and the new book. Thanks so much. Thank you so much, Stacey. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Subscribe, rate, and review the show and be a part of making a difference because it starts with you.